You're listening to the BBC World Service Space Podcast. We're going to tell you how to live, work, play and fight at the final frontier, as well as saluting some of history's space pioneers. Happy listening. BBC World Service. And now it's time for Witness. Over 50 years ago, the USA sent two monkeys into space and brought them back alive. It was a watershed moment for the American space agency NASA in its rivalry with the Soviet Union, and it helped to pave the way for America's manned space missions. Mike Lanchin reports. It's May 28, 1959. In the early hours of the morning, there's a buzz of excitement at America's mission control as two monkeys are about to make a historic flight into space. At Cape Canaveral, two tiny astronauts, monkeys Abel and Baker, are readied for the first flight into outer space and safe return of Earth flight. Dressed in protective spacesuits and wired so that readings on their physiological reactions can be transmitted to the ground, the rhesus monkey and the much smaller squirrel monkey are secured in separate capsules in the nose cone of a Jupiter... With the preparations complete and the passengers securely strapped in, it's time for liftoff. 300 miles out into space they travel. 15 minutes and 1,700 ground miles later, the capsule is fished from the waters of the Caribbean, where it re-entered the atmosphere. On a US Navy vessel in the Caribbean, peering through the darkness as the rocket plunges back to Earth, is Lieutenant Joe Guyon. The sky lighted up behind a slight overcast, and then, then we could see through the clouds there were three different objects the uh, missile body, the guidance package, and the nose cone itself. And, of course, you couldn't tell the difference between them, but it was so bright uh, you could actually read a newspaper on the, on the bridge. It was absolutely bright as day. Joe was commander of the USS Kiowa. Its mission was to locate and retrieve the rocket's nose cone from the pitch-black sea and bring home its two important passengers. The light uh, from the two uh, other pieces, the missile body and the guidance package, went out and uh, followed the uh, falling nose cone that looked like a meteor flying down into the sea. And I took a bearing to uh, exactly where I saw it last, so that's where I would head. It was all dark after that because the lights had burned out and there was nothing but darkness. There must have been quite a lot of excitement there as the rocket suddenly appeared in the night sky. Oh, it certainly was. And of course... None of us have ever, had ever seen anything like it. You know, there aren't too many people that have seen a ballistic missile coming at you. And so I thought of that, too, as it, as it was going on. But it was, it was tremendously exciting. You know, we're expecting this to happen, and, and it shows up on time, and we're just ready to go. I mean, the whole ship was like, like a, a thoroughbred at the gate ready to take off. In the late 1950s, the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union was underway. It was a matter of national pride as well as scientific achievement. But the Americans were clearly lagging behind. At this point in time, the race to space was all animals. The Soviet Union was sending up dogs and the US was racing to catch up. Um, this came shortly after the launch of Sputnik, uh, the first Earth-orbiting satellite, and uh, a month later, the launch in October 1957 of Sputnik 2, which was the first satellite to orbit a dog, Soviet satellite. So the U.S. was in something of a panic. 
space historian Chris Dubbs. Bringing back the two monkeys alive, he says, would be key to opening up the way for human astronauts. They had to find out whether a human could survive the launch in a rocket. I mean, the tremendous G-force they endured, whether they could survive in orbit, the zero gravity of orbit, whether their body would function, whether their mind would function, whether they could perform minimal tasks that would be required of them. You know, as I mentioned, the Soviet Union used dogs. uh, And with both species, I mean, you can monitor things about them, their heart rate and their muscle reactions and their pulse and their respiration and their temperature. So you you really have a a pretty good picture through all the stressful parts of the launch and the flight, uh, how they react. And so it it could be transferred over to uh, you gain some understanding of how a human would react as well. Standing on the bridge of his ship, Naval Officer Joe Guyon was well aware of the responsibility. America's previous animal space flights had failed because the nose cone had been lost or had broken up on impact. But as the ship's crew began hauling the rocket tip out of the water and up onto the deck, no one knew if the little astronauts inside had indeed survived. The uh, nose cone uh, slammed against the side of the ship and I thought, oh, brother, we're going to sink it. But we uh, got it aboard and uh, lifted it with the, uh, our crane and eased it into, uh, we had a uh, like a little cradle made of a four-by-fours, and old mattresses so that it wouldn't uh, be damaged. And laid it down uh, with the pointed end towards the bow, and one of the technicians from the Ballistic Missile Agency ran up and plugged in to the uh, back of it to check, and he turned and he said, he said, they're alive. Abel and Baker are unspossed from their protective guard, and they prove sturdy little explorers indeed. Physically unharmed and in jolly good spirits, the first creatures from outer space in all history. I could see the nose cone, they opened the back, and what they did is the small monkey was attached to the side of the nose cone, and uh, she came off very easily, the little one. She was full of life, the kind of, uh, she was the kind of monkey that you could actually pick up and hold whereas the other monkey, Abel, you could not touch because she was pretty vicious. Her capsule, I mean, her bed was actually a couch that had a a lot of padding. She was flat on her back, and they started to remove the things away from her limbs, and then she started to flail around with them, and so they had to hold both her legs and also her, her upper arms, too. And they had to hold her like that until they got her in the cage. And they they started to feed her with apples, and that helped to satisfy her. But every once in a while, she'd let off with a big scream. And uh, the other monkey was very quiet and uh, didn't make any noise, but uh, she was very content to be fed peanuts and things like that. Their safe return made the monkeys instant celebrities. They were flown to meet the press in Washington and their pictures appeared on the front cover of Life magazine. But was the mission an unqualified success for NASA? Space historian Chris Dubbs. Very much so. Very much so. Um, I mean, there were a few pieces of it that didn't work. Uh, Abel was supposed to uh, manipulate a, a lever whenever a light flashed. They wanted to see if you know animals could do simple tasks in space. That didn't happen. And of course... There was the tragedy after the flight. 
that in a simple surgical procedure that Abel died. This was very unexpected, and they learned something from this, that the stress that animals were under and that they shouldn't be given anesthetic uh, for a procedure right after the flight. But just improving the equipment, improving the, that animals could survive and function in a space flight, it opened the door for everything that rapidly followed. By 1961, the Russians had sent their first man into orbit. The following year, the Americans followed suit. Baker, the surviving space monkey, lived for another 25 years. More than 300 people attended her funeral in 1984. Joe Guyon is now 86. He's long retired from the Navy and lives in Baltimore. And it was a highlight of my naval career. And I, I keep telling people that, that things went downhill after that. But looking back on it, I, I, you know, it's, I'll never forget it. It's always been... Uh, a highlight, and I, I can never stop talking about it and uh, trying to tell people that it was pretty hard to make anything better than that because uh, we did something that no one else had ever done. Joe Guyon, ending witness from Mike Lanchin. Thanks for listening. Find more interviews, features and documentaries at bbcworldservice.com slash space. Want more from your podcast app? Graduate to Pocket Casts, your free one-stop shop for podcast listening, search, and discovery. The beautifully designed app gives you more control and makes it easier to discover and organize podcasts with powerful tools to customize listening. Hear all your favorite shows at pocketcast.com or find us in the Apple app or Google Play stores. 